All right, everybody, welcome to episode 160 of the Jesus Famous Podcast. As I say at the top, each time our podcast exists to see Jesus famous. We want to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed in your everyday life. And uh, that's what we're about. That's what we're trying to do with this show. I'm Nate Holdridge, uh, the pastor at Calvary Monterey and the host of today's episode. And I like to preach about Jesus famous, but also write and podcast about Jesus famous during the week. And uh, today we have a really special episode. I think you're really going to like this conversation and story. I have a friend of mine in the studio with me uh, named Vanessa Estrada. And Vanessa has a great testimony, a great story. And I'm going to lead her through it today and get her to share with us about how she came to know Jesus and what God is doing in her life today. It's a real Jesus famous story. Uh, just a couple of announcements though, before I introduce Vanessa to you, I wanted to mention to you that in December, uh, we're going to have the blessed opportunity of having a real legend in the faith, Dr. JP Moreland, come and minister to our church. Uh, I don't have his full biography in front of me right now, but if you were to go to Amazon and search for JP Moreland, you would see that he has been a prolific contributor to Christian apologetics for the last 40 or so years. Uh, he's an amazing man of God, and through some relationships and connections that he has with folks in our church, uh, he has said that he wants to and is willing to come and speak to our church on Sunday night, December 4th, and he'll also be here on the Jesus Famous podcast. And when, when I have him on the podcast, I'm going to discuss with him a beautiful book that he's written on experiencing miracles. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever read because he's a high academic, a PhD, a philosopher, who is talking about how God works and moves in the world today. So look forward to that podcast coming out soon. And uh, I'd encourage you to read that book if you'd like, Experiencing Miracles by J.P. Moreland. Uh, also, I uh, just wanted to remind you, you can subscribe to any new articles that I've written at nateholdridge.com slash subscribe. Um, and would love to have you follow along uh, with me there. All right, but without further ado, I want to get into interviewing and talking with Vanessa Estrada. Vanessa, welcome to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Thank you, Nate. It's so good to be um, be here today and to get to share with you all about myself, my my testimony, and how God has just transformed me in, into a, a new woman in, uh, in Christ. Yeah, I first heard that I needed to have you on after you shared at one of our church's women's gatherings and Christina my wife told me afterwards, you need to have Vanessa on. You need to interview Vanessa. That mm -hmm. is just a beautiful story. But before we get into your story, I want to ask you, um, it was earlier this year, we were in the book of Nehemiah together, and I had different people reading mm, yes. the passage that we were in that week. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what chapter I had you read? Do you, do you remember off the top of your head? I don't remember. I think it was oh, six or was it six? Okay, something like that. So what I wanted to ask you was, do you remember how 
all day long, I called you Vanessa. And then you in did. one service, I called you Jessica. Yes. And nobody corrected me. I was just like, hey, everybody, I want to introduce my friend Jessica to you. We were in front of the whole congregation, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Do I say something right now in front of everybody? <laughs> yes, I, just... I remember that. But I went along with it. I didn't think it was appropriate time to poke fun at you at that moment <laughs> in front of everybody. You had mercy yeah. on me. You're yes. too nice. Yeah. You're too nice. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we were able to go to Israel together. You're part of yes. our church's recent Israel tour. Amazing. And that was just a blast for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, really enjoyed getting was, to hang out with you mm -hmm. and get to know you as part of the group. And uh, so I'm so stoked to be able to sit with you and chat together. You loved the time was, in Israel, didn't it you? It was amazing. I, I woke up every day just in awe of like, from where I was, like, how do I get to wake up here in the Holy Land? Like, it just yeah. made my faith so much more real. Um, just so blessed. And we had such a great group. It was so, it was a beautiful experience. Yeah, mm -hmm. right on. All right, well, to, to start this out, you know, um, let's just go big picture. Why don't you tell okay. everybody what you're doing right now? What's your current role? What does God have mm -hmm. you doing in ministry right now? Yeah, so right now I serve the Bridge Restoration Ministry, um, and I am the women's house manager and have been in that role for a little over three years. Um, I have went through the bridge myself um, in 2018 through 2019, and after I graduated, stepped into a leadership role, and so um, I also work uh, for the Second Chance Thrift Store, which is directly connected to the bridge, and I am the online sales manager there. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that, and it's been such a beautiful experience, a faith-building experience. Um, it it really keeps me um, just grounded in in what God is has done in my life, and just reminded in that and what getting to see that every day and in, in the lives of the residents and the people who are, you know, coming into it, into the program, um, is just a, a beautiful reminder each day of what God, what yeah. God can do and what he will do. And, um, yeah. I would imagine that in a role like that, mm -hmm. you're probably doing more ministry in a week yeah. than most of us do like in a whole year. I mean, you're every day, day and yeah. night, you're mm -hmm. with the very people yeah. that you're living with the very people that yeah. are the target that God has, mm -hmm. you know, has you aimed at. Yeah. What is that like? Just, it's like, you're always on. In a, in a nutshell, it's like, it's crazy and there, there's drama and it's hard and it's tough but it's fun and exciting and um it's just all of that and and uh and rewarding all at the same time you know beautiful mm -hmm. well i love your heart and thank you for doing it yeah. for sure so mm -hmm. you are a salinas kid let's start off yes. with that you're you're mm -hmm. you're from the monterey county you yes. grew up in salinas mm -hmm. so tell me a, a little bit about your childhood and just some of the early days of your of your life yeah so um i was born and raised in salinas at um memorial hospital and um yeah i had a pretty normal childhood i um I have three siblings, um, an older brother, his name's Noel, a younger brother, Jacob, and a younger sister, Christina. Um, and yeah, just my early memories of childhood, just lots of, of love to loving parents. Um, uh, we 
did normal things like play outside and played tag around the block and we all were all in sports and my um, my dad kind of coached us all at one point and in that and um, you know it was fun I would say I just I can say that my childhood was a lot of fun I always had um, not just my siblings around but I always had um, cousins around we had a lot of cousins I'm Hispanic and um, my parents come from really big families, mm. so my dad is the baby of nine, and my mom is the baby of 13. Wow. Um, so we always just had family around, and that has kind of been, um, family has been so important, you know, yeah. in my life, and it, um, so, yeah. Were a lot of uh, their family local? To you guys there in Salinas? Or? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For oh, amazing. During my childhood, everybody was local. But as we started to get older, everyone started moving away different places. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to jump ahead too far. But, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you've already shared that you went through the bridge mm -hmm. program. Yes. And uh, I've noticed that when you tell your story, mm -hmm. you kind of like to start with talking about how great your family mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if there's a reason why you're making sure that detail is in there. My guess is, mm -hmm. is that you want people to understand that, hey, the things that happened to me and the stuff that I entered into, yeah. they can happen to anybody. Yeah. It's not just, because I think sometimes we'll be told a certain version of these mm -hmm. stories that makes us think, oh, it's always because it was a bad family or it was a bad right. upbringing mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. But Man, the devil is real yeah. and he's going mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. every kind of person who has mm -hmm. every kind of situation. So it sounds to me like your way of thinking as you look back is, I was pretty privileged. Yeah. I had a great situation. Mm -hmm. My parents loved me. We had a happy family, but the enemy got me. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, the devil doesn't discriminate and addiction doesn't discriminate. And so I feel like it was very important for me to understand because there's this stigma that, um, comes with addiction and mm. a lot of times people um, think that there's some sort of um, trauma or bad upbringing like you said um, that that goes along with somebody who has struggled with addiction and so um, for me that wasn't the case I like I said I had two loving parents my my parents are still uh, married um, I was never separated from them or my brothers and sisters um, there was no abuse um, whether it was verbal mental physical um, there was not anything like that that has happened to me um, nothing traumatic that has gone on in my life that would have caused me to run um, to drugs you mm -hmm. know um, so I think that's very important that people know that, you know, yeah. there's no discrimination there. Like it can, you know, addiction can touch anybody. It could come into anybody's home. And yeah, mm -hmm. I think there's this legalistic thing where we, we want to search for the reason mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we want to place blame mm -hmm. somewhere at someone's yeah. feet. And I'm not saying that that can't happen. I mean, certainly growing up in a broken home where there's addiction yeah. from your parents, mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. can set you up for totally. failure in some mm -hmm. ways. Not that you can't overcome, God can do anything. Uh, but I think it's great that you highlight that at the beginning of your story. So yeah. uh, you're growing up in Salinas, you're having mm -hmm. this happy childhood. And yeah. then what, what kind of pivoted? What happened next? Um, you know, I would say uh, that I kind of get into my uh, teenage years when when I was younger, um, you know, I bounced around from elementary schools. Um, I 
felt like I was a little sheltered. Um, we, I did go to a private Christian school in Salinas, um, okay. right across from uh, the North Salinas High School. It's um, Salinas Christian. So my sixth grade year, I went there and um, then I go into middle school, um, which is starting at seventh grade, um, Gavlin View High School was just like, oh, wow, like, you know, this isn't little kid stuff anymore. And, you know, this is a whole new world for me. Um, So public school there and um, it, the teenagers there were, you know, of course you want to fit in at that age. You're figuring out, okay, Mm -hmm. who, who am I and who, how do I stand out? Because prior to that, I had just been, I was raised with my brothers. Um, They were closer to me in age. My younger sister is eight years um, from me. And so I just grew up with the boys and I was a little tomboy and, you know, playing sports with them, running around, you know, the block. And I didn't know what it was to be a, a girl in middle school. And so when I tried making friends, all these girls were in, into boys and into, you know, um, going out and getting pretty with makeup. And um, that was the new experience for mm-hmm. me. And so, um, you know, trying to fit in in that way, um, we were, I was, um, yeah, figuring out who I was and um, trying to make friends and that was going out to, you know, parties. And so getting my first, you know, taste of like, okay, this is how people party. Like they're, you know, go out and they're drinking and they're, you know, smoking weed and doing things like that, which I was like, not really afraid of because uh, coming from a Hispanic family, um, the way we gathered is just big parties like we there was holidays and birthdays and it didn't even have to be a special occasion where we would just gather on the weekends and barbecue and I would see you know okay this is just normal we that's what you do when you get together you 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 got 13 kids on one side nine on the other it's a big (laughs) celebration every time um yeah so that's kind of what how that was brought into my middle school age um was brought it that's interesting. That, yeah. So you're mm-hmm. you're you're there in those terrible middle school years mm-hmm. where everybody's just at our most yeah. awkward. Mm-hmm. You're trying to fit in mm-hmm. and you just do the thing that so many of us have done. Yeah. You just start mm-hmm. going to these parties, you're seeing what it's like, mm-hmm. what everybody's doing. And then I think in your story you said that you then were ripped from that and had to move away for a little while? Yeah. What happened there? So um, my mother, um, in the middle of my freshman year, I was at Everett Alvarez High School, and in the middle of my freshman year, my mother got a job opportunity. She had worked in the automotive industry for a long time, um, (laughs) and she had gotten an opportunity in Las Vegas. Um, so we moved, she moved our whole family, um, at that age, which I was just starting (sighs) to rough time. Yeah. Yeah. I was barely making, um, friendships and, you know, again, I was young and I had only known Salinas and, you know, the people, my friends and family there. So it was like a, a really hard thing to be, to leave that. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. So what happened next? How did you cope with life in Vegas? Um, Again, I was at the same spot where I'm in a new place (laughs) and I'm um, at this new high school and it was an even bigger 
culture shock than just for me going from elementary school to middle school, um, but going into a, a big city, a way bigger high school um, than I had previously gone, um, it was a culture shock. Um, there, the children there, the kids there were a lot more experienced than I was. Um, there was just a lot, a lot going on. I walked into just chaos. <laughs> um, there was the first day of school. Um, me and my older brother went to the uh, same high school, and when we walked in, um, everybody was standing up at the, the second level of the school and um, had been peering over to the soccer fields, and we're like, what's going on? And okay. everybody starts whispering, and they're like, you know, some kid just hung himself over there oh my in goodness. the soccer fields. Wow. and. Um, first day of school. First day of school. And, um, oh, poor kid. I know. It, and we're just like, we hadn't known that. You know, we've never yeah. been around that. And um, so that was pretty scary. And shortly after, just finding out more about the school, there was um, just the baseball team had, um, they canceled like the baseball season because a lot of the, baseball players had, um, you know, popped for heroin. Gee. And I'm just like, what is that at this oh, point? Man. You know, I had no idea what that was. This, the school had a, not just one or two guys mm, getting, getting popped, but right? the team, mm -hmm, wow. but the team and the school had a whole drug testing system for, um, for whoever's parents wished to have their kids drug tested. It, oh, wow. it was a big, yeah, it yeah. was a big thing. They were, the school was testing, um, as the parents wanted their children to be, you know, monitored in that yeah. way. Um, there was a teacher. That's great. Who, I, th I think I'm for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there was a teacher who had like stabbed himself in the middle of a, a school day and, you know, everybody gets released, um, when the bell rings and like the students are seeing him on the you know, stairs. Oh my goodness. And it was, yeah, it was, it was just crazy. Just there a was, zoo. Yeah. So again, I'm at this place where I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I make friends? And yeah. you're um, like 14 at this point. Yeah. Little mm -hmm. Vanessa mm -hmm. trying to figure mm -hmm. it out. So I went to a school that had a lot of, um, wealthy children. They were okay. all living in, um, big mansion-like homes and gated communities. I definitely was not. <laughs> I was not living in, in big homes in, in that way, but um, they had um, whatever it was that their parents were doing. They made a lot of money. Um, they had a lot of freedom. They didn't have anybody home uh, throughout the day. Um, so they were kind of just left with doing whatever they wanted when they wanted and... Um, because it's like a, like a teenage brain plus money plus no supervision. That's crazy, equals, right? Equals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So those are the people that I was around, and so I, I, um, yeah, was introduced again. I I was introduced to the my neighbor, and I started hanging out with her for a little while, and um, I for about a summer, I was using meth and heroin. And um, my parents started to know, notice something was different than me, oh. in me. And yeah. my dad actually, um, he had been <clears throat> a, 
a roofer his whole life. That was his career. Um, but when we moved to Las Vegas, he um, wanted to try something different. So he had um, went to school to become a correctional officer. He did some training and okay. some schooling for that. And so he was working at a prison there. And so he had been learning about drugs and the, you know, the symptoms, the side effects and how it affects people. And I think that he was able to see those oh, signs and started me. seeing it in his mm -hmm. little girl. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So what happened next is he's, what did he approach you? Did he, you know, confront you? Like what, what did they do? How did, what was the next step? My dad came home one day with a poem. It's a I very like your dad. common I like your dad already. poem. <laughs> um, it's a very common poem. If you search like drugs on the internet, it's easily found, but he, it was just talking about how it come, drugs come into your family and they, they just destroy everything and you think that they make you feel good and that they love you and that they're always going to be there but it's just like a poem about the destruction of drugs wow and he brought that home to me one day and i was like i looked at it and i read it and i'm like how dare you you know i just got defensive because in that moment i was under the influence and um i felt like how dare him know and how dare him call me out and um you know you you justify in your head like you know even though I am doing something wrong like I know that I'm not trying to hurt my family so yeah. I got really defensive yeah. <laughs> in that yeah because he was he was pointing out where this is going to lead and what you right. are doing mm -hmm. and you're just thinking I'm just having a good time Right. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Wow. We're, we're going to find that poem and we're going to put it in the show notes. Yeah. Dan's going to, Dan's going to, you got it, Dan? Get it in there. Mm -hmm. All right. So after he confronts you, did you guys move back to Salinas or um, what happened? Not right away. Um, I stopped after that summer, I stopped using those harder drugs because I knew that my family knew what was going on and they knew the girl across the street was um, bad news and so I quickly stopped um, but at that point I dropped out of high school and um, I got my workers permit we were still there in Las Vegas um, I started working at a party city and I started making money for the first time. And at that point I had made a lot of friends there and um, <clears throat> I sort of stepped out of my parents' house um, mm. and started living with um, just friends mm -hmm. in that area. Um, but it was about maybe a year that we stayed um, after that. And we came back to Salinas. I think shortly after, you know, all of that happened, I wasn't home anymore. Um, at that point, my older brother who had gone there with us, he had moved back to Salinas cause he was 18 and he, you know, um, wanted to be back home. And my younger brother, he is a little, um, DGK, little dirty ghetto kid. Okay. Skater. <laughs> Um, so he, um, would be out all hours of the night 
um, my dad had been working all these strange hours with mm. the prison and because family was so important, is so important to um, us, I think my mom felt like, okay, what is everybody, where's everybody at and what is happening? And yeah, I'm I losing my quickly, family. I quick, she quickly realized that um, this wasn't a place to raise children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they... They said, we're, we're going we're back. We're coming back home. We're um, back in Salinas now. At that point, um, I was trying to get back into school. So I started um, in independent studies at MCOE. And I had to cram my last two years into one to graduate on mm -hmm. time, which I did and was able to get my high school diploma. Um, and then I also started working with her in the automotive industry um, at a local dealership in Salinas. Okay. So. Well, let me ask you, you know, just kind of looking back at that time mm -hmm. of your life and the decision that your parents made to go to Vegas or mm -hmm. to Henderson. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah. You know, they looked at it. They mm -hmm. they did the best they could, and then they made the decision. Hey, we need to reverse this. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like, how how do you feel about it looking back at that time? Do you feel like, no, nah, I don't think I would have gone all the way down that path if we hadn't gone to Vegas. I think had I been a little more protected and mm -hmm. had eyes on me or, you know, do you, do you look at it like that? I mean, you know, God's in control of our lives right. and we, we have to rise or fall on our own decisions, our own choices, our own free will, you know, mm -hmm. so I know that you would never blame anybody or blame your parents or anything like that mm -hmm. for, you know, your decision led me to do this. But do you feel like, I think I would have been okay? Or were you heading on that path anyways? I never really thought about that question um, or in that way. I don't know. Yeah, that's the right answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't, don't know, know, do we? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're back in town. I, I think the reason I bring that up is mm -hmm. just as a, as a parent, I think what I'm just highlighting is it's so hard yeah. as a parent, you know, because you're, you're trying to do the best you can. You're trying to provide, you're trying to make the best choices. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just don't know. You don't like how your parents could have never foreseen mm -hmm. what that move was going to do to you. Yeah. You know, there was nothing in the job brochure that said, you know, day one of uh, freshman year, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to see a kid who has committed suicide. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. that, none of that's there. It's just so challenging. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it also speaks to, yeah, you know, as parents, we want to try to be as careful as we can. And I'm proud of your parents for when they saw it saying, yeah. we got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. We got to rescue our girl, yeah. rescue our kids. Mm -hmm. All right. So you're working with your mom. You got your diploma and, uh, and happily ever after or what? No. Well, so... Even though I had gotten back on track um, and I wasn't using the hard drugs and I did start working and I did get my diploma and did what I was supposed to do, I don't think that the partying ever really stopped. So when I got home, I came back to all my friends who are all now grown up mm -hmm. and um, their level of, you know, partying was more. And mm -hmm. so the drinking continued, the marijuana continued. 
and um, I kind of lived like that for a couple years and um, I just realized recently I was trying to pinpoint when I actually what the shift was because I had been partying just to have fun it wasn't you know it wasn't for any other reason I'd never used drugs or drank to cope or to to um numb or anything like mm-hmm. that at, at this point and um I just recently realized um, at what point that shift was. And I had experienced um, a close death to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. My grandfather had uh, passed away, my dad's father. And I think at that moment um, is when I started using to numb. Mm -hmm. So I feel like grief, I just understood that grief was something that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, and that was the shift of my, wow, my addiction. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how old were you at that point? I was about probably turning 18. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're still really young. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. don't know how to process it. Right. And this thing that's been right at hand in the past for a good time, mm-hmm. it's now helping you cope or you think right. it's helping you cope. Yes. And so I'm imagining that's when things really got deep yeah so at that point I started um using to excess anything that I could get my hands on I had um been introduced to um, mushrooms ecstasy um which I was abusing um all the time like every other weekend which is not good for somebody's for anybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and um, just drinking very, very heavily. And um, the marijuana was every single day. And um, at this point I had been working a job at um, a local dealership and I had been driving parts for their parts department. And that one particular day I had got into a car accident and um, it was um, standard procedure, you know, you go, get checked out by the doctor, take a drug test. And I was freaking out. Oh, of course. Because, you know, marijuana stays in your system for a very long time. And um, if I tested positive, I would be fired. Mm -hmm. And um, at this point I had um, been uh, working for a while. I was able to get a car. I was able to um, have my first apartment. And then I get into this accident, which um, scared me because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, I could lose all of that. Um, I went to the local smoke shop and got a detox drink mm. and went to the doctor, got checked out, did the drug test, and um, it was negative. Wow. So detox drink worked. Right. Wow. And, um, but I had some injuries. Um, I had hurt my lower back and I was given, um, prescription medication, uh, Vicodin. Mm. And I had been taking them, uh, as the doctor had prescribed me and, um, had gotten a couple refills. And this was like about a month, two months that I had been taking them from the doctor. And when that prescription ran out 
my body was feeling it. Wow. And I didn't realize what was happening um, because I had just experienced, um, I had been using the drugs um, in different ways. Like I never stayed to one thing for so long, which I didn't understand what mm -hmm. being dependent on, like what my body was doing in that. Um, so um, then I started asking around, like, okay, if, I, if my prescriptions run out, like, how do I not feel this way and where can I get more of it? Um, because my body is telling me it needs it. Um, so those were my first experiences of withdrawing. And um, I could never seem to stop. Like, I, I had to um, feel better. And so... I also liked the way it made me feel too, mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the high from the prescription drugs. Um, so my uh, pill addiction went for many years um, and I had bought from local dealers and um, people in the streets. They, there was times where um, I would got, uh, had a root canal done or some, you know, dentist work and would get a prescription in that way or if my mom had some leftover medication in her cabinet or an aunt or you know just there was so many different ways at that point where i was searching out prescription pain medication yeah yeah so th does that ever like get i mean is it like scary to like buy from somebody on the street you know where you're like I mean, I'm just asking like my little novice questions, but is it ever like, what, how can I be sure this is really the real deal? Um, like, how are you, I mean, I don't give a tutorial on how to find people. Yeah, no, but don't want to like, do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was easy. It was easy. I had a lot of um, friends who knew people, um, you know, I've, I met a lot of people throughout the years of living in Salinas. So I knew so many people who, you know, had those connections. So I was mm -hmm. never afraid. And at that point, your your body's telling you, like, you're going to do anything to, you know, even if it might be dangerous. Yeah, it's got to happen. Mm -hmm. It's worth the risk yeah. in, your, in your mind at that point. Mm -hmm. Wow. What do you think about, this is a little bit different of a subject, mm -hmm. but you talked about, like, Marijuana, And by the way, thank you for telling this story. I mm -hmm. could tell you're even a little bit like, you know, this is a church mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. So you're like, when you, you're yeah. like marijuana yeah. and <laughs> mushrooms, <Yeah. but laughs> we're all ready for yes. the story. Mm -hmm. uh, but what do you think about the legalization of marijuana? You know, like I talk to people sometimes at church now mm -hmm. who are like, well, it's legal now, you yeah. know, like as if now it's all good. Yeah. You know, what, what do you think that has done to us as a society? Um, I feel like it's just made people think that drugs are okay. Mm. Um, I, now that I'm sober, I realize that anything that is going to make you feel an outer body experience or anything different than your normal self is not good for you. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, um, people don't think it's a big deal. But as cliche as it sounds, it is a gateway drug. You know, people mm. say, oh, you know, that it's just marijuana. <laughs> but um, it leads to other things. And if you're dip 
how you're using it like if you're looking to feel different like that's not that's not good mm-hmm. you know yeah i like you're that you're searching something out yeah. that yeah thanks for sharing that mm-hmm. so you're on the pills mm-hmm. for a while what yeah. what happened next in your life at this point in my life just struggling with maintaining my <clears throat> pill addiction i had been in a a relationship a really toxic relationship um one that i had gotten into shortly after coming back from las vegas um with a guy who um really didn't bring or add anything to my life um he never um he never really did anything he was just kind of there and i think i was found comfort in him being there in some way that he was not going anywhere and um yeah i had stayed with him for i think about eight years but um when we first got together um we had just been young partying together and um as it progressed he also had a pill addiction and so that became very toxic Mm. um so we were living together um just uh, in our addiction uh, not taking care of ourselves or each other um, in healthy ways um we uh, i was the one that was working he never worked um, never was able to hold the job really he had dropped out of college Um, so he kind of was just around, Mm. um, and I think that made him feel inferior to me in a way, um, because as a man, you're supposed to be the provider, you're supposed to be the leader, and I was the one kind of bringing in the money, and I was, like, not afraid to tell him that kind of stuff either, you know, like, you don't get to tell me how and when to do things if I'm, you know, providing in this way. And it was just really, it, it was not a good relationship. Um, so yeah, I, um, had been, uh, we had both been really, um, deep in our addiction and eventually we had, we had just been through so many breakups and, um, he had family in Arizona and, um, every time we would break up towards the end of our relationship, he would, I'd kick him out and, and leave. So yeah, I'm in this relationship. I'm living on my own. That car accident happens. Um, I pass the drug test. I get to keep my job. Um, but now I have, you know, have all that addiction. Um, I get into another car accident shortly after that months later. Um, where I have to do the same thing over. Okay. And I lose the job. Because you failed the test this time? Because I failed the test. And... um, So you had this warning. Yes. (laughs) Didn't sink in, Mm -hmm. though. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, I failed the test, and I lose my job because of the marijuana being in my system. And at this point, I start... um, I lost the job. Um, I had been really bad in my addiction, not saving money, um, not taking care of all my responsibilities, kind of just paying my rent and then like making sure that I could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lost my apartment. 
Um, I ended up losing uh, my car and I had to come back into my parents' home. So mm. me and my boyfriend come back into um, my mom's home. Um, at that point, um, all of my siblings had been living there. My older brother, Noel, who I mentioned in the beginning, um, he also had struggled with addiction. Mm. Um, so when I came back into my mother's house, I was addicted to pills. He was addicted to heroin. Um, and my younger brother and sister were kind of watching the effects of, of what that caused, mm -hmm. um, for our family and our household. Um, but coming into that, I always, I kind of shamed my brother for him being addicted to heroin and I justified my addiction because they were pills Oh yeah, and they you were coming a prescription from the doctor and, um, at that point, uh, my brother had been just ripping my family apart. Like my, oh. um, he had been stealing from them. Um, just, it just yeah. caused a whole bunch of the poem was coming true. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I would tell my mom, like, don't judge me. Like I'm, you know, I'm getting it from the doctors. He's not, he's stealing from you. He's lying to you. He's, you know, causing all of this. And I'm supporting myself by the little bit that I had left. Um, and, um, yeah, so I moved back in with them and, um, continued in this relationship that just be, just got worse and worse. Um, I eventually kicked him out because we broke out, broke up one uh, time and I had become unfaithful to him, mm -hmm. uh, and ended up getting, uh, pregnant by somebody um, while he was gone. Mm -hmm. And when I found this news out, he had been gone for maybe a month or so. And um, I found out I was pregnant. Um, couldn't tell anybody at this point. I didn't, had never been through that before and I was scared and um, I shared the news with the person um, who I got pregnant by and he did not seem like he wanted to be involved at all. He had mm -hmm. just um, had a child um, that was only a couple months old and um, the mother of his child was living in his mother's home, his family's home. And um, when I told him that I was pregnant. He just didn't seem like he wanted anything to do with that. Mm. And it, that sucked. <laughs> um, that hurt. And eventually, um, the guy that I had been dating for, um, those few years came back into my life. And, um, I had to break that news to him that I had been pregnant by somebody other than him. And um, that was really hard to do, um, to, to come to terms with like where my life was at that point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, I'm addicted to drugs. I've lost my job, my apartment, my relationship. And I'm pregnant by somebody who doesn't want 
the child and I can't take care of myself. Like how could I even take care of a, of a kid mm. <laughs> at this point in my life? Um, so I thought that, um, I contemplated um, whether to terminate the pregnancy and um, I decided that I would mm -hmm. at that point that it was best for for me and for the child in some weird way um, that I wouldn't even be able to take care of or provide for um, and so I followed through with um, an abortion and um, almost immediately after the procedure, like immediately, um, I regretted it. Wow. I regretted following through with that. Um, I had no idea what it was going to do with, to me, um, mentally and emotionally. I was not prepared for the pain that I had felt, um, the shame and the, from doing something like that. Mm -hmm. I was not educated on um, the brokenness I would feel from that. Yeah. Um, so you're devastated at this point in yeah. your life. Mm -hmm. You're emptier than empty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we love the Lord and his grace and mm -hmm. what he does to repair and mm -hmm. rebuild and forgive. Yeah. And I know you're walking in that today, but yeah. I can feel even the, tenderness of it just talking with you about mm -hmm. it today mm -hmm. it's still yeah part of your life and something you wish you hadn't done right and so i appreciate you sharing that with us yeah yeah the lord loves you mm -hmm. and has grace for you, Thank you as he does with with and for all of us but mm -hmm. thanks for saying that to yes. all of us mm -hmm. so that we can you know learn and and yeah. if anybody else is in that same situation you know, to say, Hey, there's another way. Yeah. You know, there's people that would love to help. Mm -hmm. It's not as hopeless as you think yes. it is. It's mm -hmm. not as despairing as you think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, let, let, let others in, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're in, in the depths at that point, And yeah. I can only imagine that that drove you further into your oh, addiction. Yeah. yeah. I was like an overdrive at that point. Um, I, had been feeling ever since my grandfather had passed away, I'm using to cope and to, to numb. And then I'm starting to lose my job and my home and uh, my relationship. And now this child, and I'm like, I don't want to feel this anymore. Mm. Like I feel shame and embarrassment and um, pain really. And I didn't want to feel any of it anymore. And so I was like in overdrive. Um, at that point, my pill addiction was not even fun anymore. Um, I explained I liked the way it made me feel. But towards the end or during that time, I was just using to stay well. Um, there was laws that had changed with prescription medication during that time where um, at one point when I first was introduced to Vicodin and Norco and 
they were giving out prescriptions like candy. Mm. And then after some years, they realized this, you know, opioid crisis is happening and we need to change the laws and get stricter. So um, they were a lot harder to find and they were expensive, very Mm. expensive. Um, So that's when I had gone to um, my older brother's girlfriend at the time. She had been living at my parents' home. And I asked her, because I knew I couldn't go to my brother about it, especially after the way I had been treating him um, about his addiction mm-hmm. to heroin. I went to his girlfriend and I said, hey, like, can I have some? And she looked at me like, what? And I said, the pills are not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I need more. And so that's when I started dabbling back into heroin. So I had, mm-hmm. I had um, experimented with it when I was 16, 15, 16, mm-hmm. um, for a short summer, stopped, and then now it's being reintroduced into my life. Um, and yeah, um, I started meeting more people more drug dealers. Um, it just was a different world. Mm. Um, and so I became, um, more desperate. Um, and at this point I didn't have a job or anything to provide for my addiction. Um, so then I had started learning the come up and what, how do you get money by stealing and, um, lying and cheating and there was I had um, started stealing to provide for my addiction Mm -hmm. yeah stealing from stores from people from family Um, got myself into a whole bunch of legal trouble uh, criminal trouble (laughs) Um, lots of petty thefts I'm trying to provide um my for my addiction by stealing you know i would go to the local department stores and um you know steal things from there or find receipts on the ground and go grab the stuff at the store and then take it to the returns yeah Yeah, to to get money or i would do the same thing at home like my parents would make a target shop and then or target run and um i would take some things that they might not really notice and get the receipt and take it back and um just things like that um there there was straight up stealing you know Mm -hmm. stealing things um from department stores, luxury bags and perfumes and jewelry and um, clothing. Um, So, yeah. And you're like selling it? Selling it on the street for half price, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, Just to get well or to get enough to, you know, not hurt anymore. So. All right. So you're you're in the midst of that and eventually this catches up with you. Yes. So there was that one particular day where 
I um, was at a local makeup shop. I don't want to name it here, but okay. <laughs> um, it is local. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had gone, uh, my boyfriend at the time and a friend, and I also had my nephew with me, um, uh, went to the store. I had um, planned on returning some things, but I also came in with a shopping bag and I was going to, you know, throw a couple items in there. Um, and they had been watching me on camera. And so, um, as I was walking out, um, I hear somebody trying to stop me and I turn around and I look and I see a familiar face this gal I went to middle school with um, was the loss prevention officer. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> so I'm, she's trying to stop me and tell me to come back and to look into my bags. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. And I keep going. And she finally is grabbing onto me and um, I'm trying to, loosened from her grip and um i'm finally at the car and there's this big scene and she's not willing to move out of the way and it it was just a whole mess but um i left i finally got in the car and i fled and she knew who i was Right, she knew so, me. so she, she knew recognized my name. you too. Yeah, okay. yeah, totally. She, she wasn't knew. like Jessica. She said yeah, Vanessa. Not Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> she knew. Um, so she knew my first and last name, and they were able to find me that way. Um, the police came to my parents' house and um, were, were looking for me. And um, eventually I had to go to court for this. And um, what should have been a petty theft. Um, because I, she claimed that I kicked her, which was possible, um, during that whole scuffle of me trying to get away. I can't quite remember that, but, um, what should have been a petty theft turned into a 211 armed robbery, wow. uh, is what they charged me with. And wow. this is a felony. Yeah. Um, and so I, had to go to court for that and um i took it to trial <laughs> thinking i was gonna get out of it so that um, means you said not guilty not guilty yes um how do you plead right and um yeah so i i began that process um which it was a a long process so that was just the beginning um right after i got in into um trouble in that way um I was in and out of my parents' house, you know. I was technically there, I didn't have anywhere else to go, but I had also <clears> been living um, in the car, <throat> in the streets, just parking wherever, sleeping there, um, which is crazy um, in your addiction. Like you have a, a warm home to go to and you'd rather be out in the streets <clears throat> with people who don't care about you and you're not taking care of yourself. And, um, so I had been doing that and, um, I was at my mom's house, um, one particular day and I had 
just woken up and I was sweating. I was withdrawing really, really bad. And I knew I had saved just a little bit um, to hold me over to that next morning so I could get enough energy to feel well and to go out and start stealing again so that I can get my fix for that evening. Um, But when I woke up, it was gone. And I'm like searching all over the place. Where is it? Where is it? My boyfriend at the time was um, next to me and he was passed out. And in his hand, I seen that little bit that was left. Mm. And um, I was so upset. Like it's gone. It's it's gone. Like Like that was all I had. And I was pissed and I started screaming and yelling and I was punching him and he's waking up like what is going on and we get into this big fight so now I'm physical he's physical we're screaming we're yelling nobody was at home at that moment and um the fighting had started inside but had traveled to the front of the house um and we were outside and you know the neighbors are looking and you know my my sister yes my sister started driving down the street i could see her pulling um about to pull into the house so i'm like get inside like we don't i don't want her to see me that way um so i go in and he's fine i tell him you need to figure this out like you need to make it right because that's what that was mine and you need to make sure that I have some. So he's like, okay, we'll get in the car. We'll go, we'll go get some more. And on my way um, over there, I get a call from my mom and she um, says that my sister was home and that the police came to the house. And I'm like, so like a neighbor called or something. I'm like, oh, why? Like oh, I you pretend- played dumb. <laughs> I'm like, why? Um, Did they say why? In my head, I knew it was for the fight, right? And um, she said that um, the officers wouldn't tell her why. Um, And they had been at a football game that day, and so they were on their way back. And she said, don't come back home. Your dad doesn't want you there. Um, Mm -hmm. You're just causing drama don't come home. And I said, okay, I won't. And we go and meet the person and get what we need. And, um, we're in the driveway of a fast food restaurant. Um, when I get another call from my mother and I'm like, oh, they know what happened this time. She's calling to tell me what happened. Um, but when I answer the call, she's sobbing crying a cry that I've never heard before and um, she tells me I need to get home and that uh, my little brother had passed away and that's why the cops were there oh wow mm-hmm. wow yeah so what happened to him um, He fell, he was out in San Francisco with some friends. Um, He fell from a 10-story apartment building in San Francisco. 
Wow. So it was a, an accident. Um, I don't really have all the answers and um, doesn't really make sense. Um, but yeah, the he fell. Yeah. Yeah. So what did what did that do to you? I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. But what did that do to you at that time? Um, it was really weird uh, because I was sad. But at this point, I was so numb to my feelings that I didn't even know how to feel. Mm. Um, I couldn't feel anything, really. Like, I cried because I knew I was supposed to cry, but I didn't feel anything. Mm. Like, I was sad that I would never see my brother again. And it, it killed me to watch my parents grieve a son. You know, I... I question like God in that moment um, of like why something like this would happen to him who my younger brother had a, a son at this point. He had been um, responsible and working a job. He was managing the um, local Zoomies store in the Northridge Mall and um, he was just he was doing what he was supposed to, like he wasn't a bad kid or anything like that. So I was like, looked at my life really and was like, I'm wasting my life away. Mm. Um, and um, you'd think that would be enough to like, okay, this is a wake up call, you know, you need to do something different with your life. Like look at what your parents are going through, like what your family's going through. Um, and I did think about that stuff, but it wasn't enough to like get me to stop. Like it wasn't right. enough. Like the the drugs at this point um, I, were completely out of control. Like I couldn't, I could not make that step to stop. All right. So you're you're in your addiction. Mm -hmm. Your brother has just died, mm -hmm. but you've got this ongoing court case. Yeah. So. Is that what eventually got you? What what happened? Yeah, so I had gone to court a couple times and we were finally at the part where they read you the verdict, whether you're guilty, not guilty, and they convicted me. Um, and uh, the gal who had been the loss prevention officer and the one that I went to middle school with, she um, showed up to testify against me. And um, in the courtroom, um, it's her against me and her words more credible than mine was at that point. The court sees me there as, you know, an addict and, you know, a thief. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was convicted and they had given me um, a sentencing date to come back okay. um, to hear what my consequences would be. Um, and they actually wanted to remand me at that moment when they found me guilty. Um, but because I had gone through the Beacon House, um, they decided that they would allow me to come back um, for that sentencing hearing. And um, I never showed up. And I was absconding, so I was on the run for about 11 months. Mm. Um, my addiction 
didn't stop. I did go to the Beacon House for 30 days and I was not completely sober. I wasn't using street drugs, but they did have me on a, um, a taper of mm-hmm. Suboxone, mm-hmm. um, which is a synthetic opiate. Um, and it's used to, to, um, wean you off of heroin mm-hmm. in a safe way. Um, but as soon as I left immediate, like it was a great rehab and the people were amazing the counseling um the one-on-one counseling and therapy and the group was really great um and i did talk about a lot of stuff that had been affecting me a lot of the feelings that i had been feeling and the the shame the guilt all of that stuff and i had um, worked through a little bit of it but at 30 days you know all of that has like come to the surface you know and i left not knowing what to do with all of it so the day that i left i immediately started using again Mm -hmm. because although i was getting the opportunity to talk through some of this stuff it was kind of just left right at the the surface there yeah probably not long enough not long enough at all yeah Mm -hmm. so you're you're on the run 11 months Mm -hmm. And then what happens? How did they catch you? Um, so Christmas Eve, oh, it's such a bummer. Um, Christmas Eve in 2017, I had been out um, driving around with um, a guy who wasn't even my boyfriend at the time. It was his friend and, you know, he had what I wanted and um, it was late. It was probably about midnight maybe one o'clock, we were driving on the east side of Salinas and the car wasn't registered. It had been a gift to my boyfriend from a family member, but we hadn't even switched over the names or the registration or anything like that. Um, But I took his car, went riding around with his friend and um, we got pulled over and immediately I knew this was it. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to jail. Mm-hmm. At this point I had been in jail a couple of times, arrested a couple of times, um, for DUI and, um, like petty theft stuff. But, um, I was never housed. And because I had this felony case, I knew this was the real deal. Mm-hmm. I was going to jail and I was going to be there for a while. Yep. So they take you to Monterey County jail. So I went into Monterey County Jail. Okay. And I was housed there in uh, Teapod. And what's that? It's a housing unit there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A women's housing unit. All right. And how long were you there? Um, I was there for five and a half months. Okay. What yeah. was that like? Um, One of the best experiences of it your was life? Dirty. It was yeah. gross. It was. It was not a good experience at all. Um, I was actually really afraid to go into jail because I had never been there. I didn't know right. what it was like. But when I got there, um, my best friend, um, who I'd been friends with since middle school, um, was there. Oh, wow. She had already been there. So I felt like, okay, this person who I know and I trust, like she's been here many times. 
and she knows the people here and I'm, I'm good, I'm safe, right? <laughs> um, I have somebody who has my back and who's gonna take care of me. So that fear went away wow. pretty quickly, yeah. All right, and that was true. She she hung she had, out with you and she did. showed you the ropes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what I thought it would be a good thing to have her there, it really wasn't because we were so used to um, doing the wrong thing together. Um, we once I went through my detox, which was a horrible two weeks um, of being there and having nothing, just cold turkey, mm -hmm. doing it all by yourself. Um, nobody cares in there of how you feel and what you're going through. And um, so that was really, really hard. But once I sobered up um, and was coherent um, and able to talk with people and, you know, just be normal again, um, I, we started talking about how do we get high in here? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I thought it was a good thing that we were there together, yeah. but we just trouble. Mm hmm. Okay. So, um, we started thinking about who do we contact? How does, how does, if it comes in, how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to get into our hands? And, um, There was somebody who did come in to the um, pod who had been arrested and, you know, came in with it, with um, meth and um, a large amount of it. And how, how do they get it in there? Well, I don't know that it's appropriate <laughs> to say. <laughs> it's just like in the movies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, it wasn't like a carrier pigeon that yeah. flew it in. Mm -hmm. It was another yeah. vehicle. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Um, and at that point we were going to take what we could get, but meth was not our choice. Right. Um, I was more of an opiate, a downer. Um, I preferred a, a more down, a downer high. And, um, so we were like, okay, we can get the money to buy some, but then how do we trade it to get what we really want? Mm. Um, so we planned to do all that and executed that plan. And um, there was many other women at that point in the housing unit that were high. And it's, it's so stupid to be high in jail. Like the cops are watching you the whole time you're being watched. And so you, they know when s people start acting funny, start acting weird, um, they're onto you pretty quickly. And so um, our pod got raided and I caught another felony case in there and um because i had because you were in possession mm -hmm. yeah i had caught an in-house possession charge and um it was just so crazy to me because right when i got arrested i knew that like it was it you know i'm done like this is done and um there's no way i'm gonna use again and then i get into jail and then around people who 
we're going to make bad decisions. And because I was in such a bad place at that time, also, I'm going to do that with them. And um, mm. I, it was just crazy to me that I was still getting in trouble in there when I should be, this is jail. You know, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be available here. Um, <laughs> so that was just crazy to me. But um, I ended up, um, in lockdown, which was um, a 22-hour um, confinement to a cell. Mm. So um, before going there and getting in trouble, I was in an open pod. But then after getting in trouble, um, I had to be confined into a a two-man cell. Wow. Did uh, they put you in there with your best friend? She was in there what? with they me. they did? Yes. Yeah, and they're like, we... We really want to respect that. Yeah. You guys are best friends. Yeah. Because um, she, yeah, I don't know if you can tell that, but um, yeah, so I was in there with her and um, spent two and a half months there. Um, finally was back in open pod. Um, I, I think the spending that two months <clears throat> confined to that cell, it limited me even more, probably the way I needed to be. Mm. Um, so that if anything did come in, um, I couldn't get it. No access. Um, so I stayed there for two and a half months and then returned back to open pod. And, um, at this point probation, um, had come to see me and, um, I had been sentenced, uh, to an ESS, which was an executed suspended sentence. So of three years in prison, um, they gave me three years felony probation and I also had to complete a, a program. Mm. So when probation came to see me, um, they had given me three options to, it was the San Francisco Salvation Army, the House of Grace and the Bridge Restoration Ministry. And, um, before she left, she told me I had to apply to one of them. So I had applied to the bridge, and um, the only reason I had picked the bridge was because it was closer to home, and mm -hmm. I wanted to be around my family, and I didn't want to be far. So I had applied, and um, yeah, shortly after that, um, Pastor Mike Casey came to interview me at the, the jail. What did you think of Mike when he rolled in? I was just like, who is this guy? And <laughs> he told me a little bit about the bridge and it was a faith-based program and that it was a year long and it was no smoking. And after telling me just that little bit, I was like, no, thank you. I don't want to go to your program. And he kind of just looked at me and smiled like, hmm, I was very blunt and short with him. I had been very hard in there. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted him gone. <laughs> and at this point, I, when he came to see me, I had only um, a short time left for my release date. So I had this plan that I was going to get out. I'll figure out where I'm going to go. Um, and 
it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to, I got a plan. I'll, I'll get out on my own. I'll go back home. I'll try to figure out which program I'm going into. I'm not going into a year long program. I'm not going into one that's far away. Um, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told him absolutely not. I didn't want to go to his program and no thanks. Mm-hmm. And, um, he left and, um, the very next day I heard my name over the intercom and telling me that I needed to roll up. Um, so, cause I was going to be picked up and, um, Michelle came to pick me up that next day and I was not happy at all about it. How did that happen? So they, they just said, this is not your choice to make. Mm-hmm. They well, decided to put you in the bridge. Um, Mike likes to think that because of my snottiness um, that he went to tell uh, Melena at probation, like, yeah, she's, she's going to come. So at this point, I was court ordered. Um, and he told her, yeah, we're, we're going to take her. And so they worked that out yep. themselves. And the next morning, <laughs> I'm like, not very happy. <laughs> so, so Michelle, Mike's wife, picks mm-hmm. you up mm-hmm. and brings you over to the house in Pacific Grove. Yes. And what? So, what are your? What are you thinking at this point? I mean, you're your brand new bridge mm-hmm. resident. Yeah. Um. When I met her when she came to pick me up I was just like who is this lady like we have nothing in common I don't even know why why she's here she's starting to tell me about the program and I'm asking her like what she does and you know with this snotty attitude I'm just like oh you just watch the house you know you just watch the house and you know look after the store (laughs) not thinking that's even much right yeah Um, and I'm very quiet on the way up. We didn't really talk too much, but I get to the house and it was after a Tuesday night church Mm -hmm. you guys used to have here at Calvary. Um, so everybody was in the home. I just got back. They're all, you know, on fire and joy filled. And I'm not that (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why am I here right now? And everybody was just in such a good mood and I looked at Michelle and I was like, where's my room? (laughs) I'm going to go lay down because I have a headache. (laughs) Um, So that was my first reaction. Um, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to meet anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was so hardened um, at that point in my life. I had not felt good about myself at all. I had gone through so much and I just felt like there's no way anybody could understand. Mm -hmm. So what happened next? I mean, obviously you stayed in, you're walking with the Lord now. So Mm -hmm. what, what kept you in and what, what happened? Yeah. Um, well, what kept me in, in the beginning was, um, the fear of prison. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and if I left, I would have had to, um, go. And so I knew I was court ordered there. Um, so I just kind of did my time for the, you know, first couple weeks, first couple months. I just thought everybody was full of it. Mm-hmm. I thought like, 
you say you're a Christian and my idea or thought of what a Christian was at that point was like goody two shoes, judgmental, strict, um, hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had all these ideas of what a Christian was and it's not real. And, um, all these women are coming alongside of me, telling me that they had been praying for me and that they're so happy that I'm there and um, they're making me go to church and having me do life groups and doing devotionals. And are, But are they really walking the way they say they're talking? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I kind of observed everybody for a a long while and um, just watched them. And I'm like, wait, these people are genuine. These Mm. women are genuine. They care. Mm. And um, I almost became like attracted to why, why do these people have so much joy? Why are they so loving? Mm. Why are real life problems and struggles happening in their lives but they have a peace about them or a confidence about about them Mm. and um i wanted that for myself like after thinking that nobody could understand what i had been going through um and then allowing myself to learn that all these women had gone through similar things as me and even worse. Um, But seeing that they still had love for for themselves, um, for um, each other, um, this joy, you know, I was like, what is that? I don't Mm. don't understand what that is. Um, And one particular day, um, I came into church. It was about three months into my program. I came into church, um, seeing it just as a chore, just checking off the boxes and um, doing what I had to. Um, we had the guest speaker, uh, your friend, Pastor Bill Buffington mm-hmm. from Calvary Inglewood. And he was uh, teaching about, it was in Luke chapter eight, I believe, um, about a healing that Jesus did on a demon possessed man. And, um, that healing just spoke to me in the perfect way. Um, he said that this demon possessed man had been unclothed and and banished to the tombs and outcasted by his community. And that's, that's how I had felt was outcasted in my own community and he was bound and shackled um, there living in the tombs and I was in jail bound and shackled and um, he was demon possessed and I had felt as though I was battling my own demons Mm -hmm. and um, Jesus comes to the region of the Gerasenes specifically for him and to heal him and um pastor bill buffington's 
message that day was titled Set Free to Serve. Um, but the main part of it was that Jesus is reaching the unlovely person. Mm. Um, and I felt like that unlovely person mm. and that if Jesus could heal th this man, then he could absolutely heal me. Mm. Um, and that day, um, I gave my life to the Lord. I accepted him into my heart as Lord and savior. And, um, yeah, I, didn't know what that really looked like, but I just came to a place of like, Lord, I, I had, I don't know what else to do. Like you're the only answer for me right now. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't really know that story until mm -hmm. we went to Israel mm -hmm. together and we were you know, our big bus of people driving on the yeah. uh, Eastern shore mm -hmm. of the sea of Galilee. Yeah. And our guide, Erez, mm -hmm. was pointing out different interesting spots. Yes. And then he pulled the bus over mm -hmm. at a certain location. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly where that episode took place that Pastor Bill taught. Yeah. But Erez gave us a, a good explanation for a theoretical site that he, over the years, has mm -hmm. developed. and made a lot of sense to me about the pigs rushing down the cliff mm -hmm. and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And you shared with me before we got to that site, you said, that's the story that Pastor Bill was teaching when I mm -hmm. became a Christian. And you shared your testimony a, a little bit in the bus with everybody after we left the site, yeah. but how powerful. And so, so you uh, believe in Jesus, you trust Jesus yes. that day. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you really just began pressing in like for real, like yeah. this is, I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm about it. Mm -hmm. Is that just your personality or is that the Holy spirit? Like what, what made it really like, this is for real. I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. I would say that I had tried everything else in my life. Like I've depended on so many other things in my life, drugs, people, love, money, all of these things, um, and nothing ever got me anywhere. And I came to a place where like, God, like, I need you. Mm. Like, if you're the healer, like I need, like I need you to heal me. Like this desperate place of like, <clears throat> you're it for me. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even know what that looked like. I just knew that that was like the yearning in my heart. Um, but as I was sharing that I didn't, that I had been observing all the all the women and in the church and and leadership at the bridge and I didn't know what a Christian was like I had a bad view of what a Christian was and I didn't know what that even meant for me but um I I just spent a lot of the rest of my program um listening and watching and listening and watching and mm -hmm. learning and um I heard that you get to know God by reading his word. And so not having any understanding of what I'm reading, I just began to open the Bible at Genesis. I think you had shared, you know, start at the beginning of the Old Testament, read a proverb um, or a psalm, and then start at the beginning of the new. And I began to like work my way 
through that and just learn. And um, like I said, I knew I wanted to, I, I knew I had to do everything different than I had always done it. Mm. So that was a process. It still is a process of working that old man out and stepping into the new man, the new creation that we are in Christ. And there's a lot of, um, it's an ugly process. (laughs) (laughs) It's an ugly, it's a hard process. Um, and, um, yeah, I've just being completely surrendered to the spirit and like help having the spirit help me and shape me, you know, into this Mm -hmm. new woman. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's been really fun to watch. You're mm-hmm. one of my favorite people in the mm-hmm. church because mm-hmm. it's just such a great yeah. story. And I, and I just love how you've really pressed in, you know, mm-hmm. you're serving a lot in the church. You obviously, yeah. you know, made the decision, you know, mm-hmm. they saw something in you when yeah. you got to the point of graduation from mm-hmm. the bridge and mm-hmm. asked you to stay on and yeah. now you're working in the bridge. Mm-hmm. So what's next for Vanessa? What's coming up in life that you're willing to share with us? Um, so, um, hopefully marriage and a family, um, I'm in a relationship right now. Um, and we've been together for about three years, a little over three years. And, um, yeah, just, it was interesting to enter into a relationship as a Christian woman, Mm -hmm. um, understanding that every relationship that I had previously been in was toxic and unhealthy. And, um, what does this look like as a Christian woman? And how does this, how can I honor God in this? Well, Vanessa, thanks so much for sharing with us all today. Mm -hmm. And, um, we'll be praying for you Mm -hmm. and your future. And I just personally believe that God has lots of ministry for you to do. I think that he's, uh, he wants to keep you busy Mm -hmm. in the kingdom for the things of, uh, you know, helping people, helping women, but, Mm -hmm. but more than that, you know, I, I see, uh, to me, God has his hand on your life for helping people who are in recovery, but also beyond that. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that for your future. Do you have any, as you think about people who are listening today, who've hung on this long to hear the end of the story, um, any closing encouragements or exhortations for someone out there who's listening to this and they don't have hope right now. Mm -hmm. They're trying to sort out what's my future, what's going to happen to me, where do I turn? Mm -hmm. How would you encourage them? For those who are struggling with addiction or any life dominating sin, um, because sin is, is what is at the root, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I would say that you don't give up on, on fighting, um, that, um, I think that's geared more toward the addiction part. Um, I would just say that um, the only hope I can share is Jesus. Um, For me, 
Um, it was God coming into my life and, and changing everything about me. It was depending on him. Um, so the hope that I have and the encouragement that I have is, is Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, if you are listening to the, listening to this and you're in the Monterey area, mm-hmm. uh, please come on out to one of our church services, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what, uh, stage or season of life you're in, we would love to meet you. Mm-hmm. We meet on Sundays. Uh, various times you can go to calvary.com to get our times you go to google it on your google maps you can see the times that we meet but we'd love to have you out and uh, vanessa and i would love to say hello but vanessa thanks for being on today and we'll keep you in prayer thanks nate